What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Well, the Super Bowl was awesome and then not awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that was the best. I'm not, I'm, it definitely wasn't the best Super Bowl I could remember, but I actually think it was the best Super Bowl since the Eagles won and maybe like the Falcons won. I think that was like a pretty good, pretty good little span there. Yeah. No, I think I think it was up there. I think it was up there, but it won't get remembered for that just because the ending was the the if you could draw up a way to have the least entertaining ending that was it right there like that was even without a rooting interest you're like oh that's that's it like that's we've had so many so many great highlight reel plays and we're not going to get to see oh a potential game winning touchdown or not even setting up a game winning field goal like that that set up the game winning field goal but it wasn't I don't know. It just didn't feel at all like what we were going to get. And that I think was why people got so mad, so unbelievably mad afterwards. Even though, even though Bradbury comes out and says, yeah, I held him. I held him. Um, well, it's funny, man, because like, uh, so I will say the Pat Mahomes rush in the middle of that drive was one of the most electric things. Right. Knowing that he's functionally just a bomb. And if you touch him in that moment, he no longer plays football is like one of the craziest things there. Cause I mean, at that point, no matter how much toward all you got in you, if you get speared on a hurt leg, you're not, it, we're pausing the game. You know what I'm saying? So the fact that he took off had like that nice little scamper, but I'll say like, as a saints fan, you know, <clears throat> we were the big proponents of, the referees in the NFL make the show about them. And after a year or two, people were like, ah, get over it, get over it. Da, da, da. Something like this happens. I'm like, guys, look, there is no get over it. They won. They, they, by us stopping talking about this, the refs won. And now it's like, okay, welcome to, welcome to my hell from 2018. We didn't change anything. We can't review anything. So fine. You guys wanted to shut us up. Here you are. Here you go. Exactly. Yeah. But I, I hated that that became a, a such a popular topic of discussion just because game itself was fun. Well, it was mm-hmm. Mahomes being great. It was Hurts being mostly good. I mean, the the scoop and score from Nick Bolton was obviously the the, the play that you just couldn't have in that sequence. A but... touching tribute to Tua Tungavailoa, his old teammate. Just a costly fumble in one of the biggest games of his career. Man, how about Fox going with the the Jalen benching that they reenacted in the pregame? That was that's a move. Uh, yeah. I, I bet there were some people at Alabama are like, really? Really? That's that's the direction we're getting. If Fox does if Fox has a TV contract with the SEC, there's no way that happens. There's no way whatsoever. But if you're if you're Alabama, like what are you gonna do? Like you're gonna get on the horn with Fox and Fox is like, all right, well, we're not under contract with you anyways. Like, what's what what are you upset about that the the, the damage is done? And, and yeah, it happened, but reenacting a benching of something that happened five years ago is like I don't know. I, I yeah. would, from a production standpoint, I wouldn't have gone in that direction. That's just me. Yeah, I think the extra the extracurriculars from broadcast teams is just being a little bit wilder and wilder as they try to reinvent the wheel. We see it during the draft all the time. That was a good example. Um, yeah, I think I think that like I would love to be in those production meetings because you know they've done things so many times. They're like, let's find a new way. Can we reenact this? And then most this most surreal moment of that for sure was did you see the two B commercial? No, I didn't see that. Did you like? Have you heard about it? Basically, it looks like a Roku, and they had the two play-by-play guys, like the crew, and they were oh, talking. Oh yeah, yeah. They had and it like Nelson zoomed talking. out. Yeah, that's and right. It had like the little the little Roku menu, and everybody just starts looking around the room and they're like, "Who is the remote? Oh my god! Oh my god!" It was like Mr. and Mrs. Smith that they put it on, right? Yeah, something like that. You're just like, wait. So, and then they didn't really bring it back into it to show you. Oh yeah, this is just a commercial. That was trippy. That was yep. 
if you were under the influence of anything, that that moment tripped you out for sure. See, good marketing, bad marketing, right? We talked about the reenactment. I think that the other side of that is that ad. Because like you said, you know, obviously there are plenty of family-friendly Super Bowl ads or, or, or parties. We had our neighbor came over for a bit. We, we, he brought his like three-year-old. We were watching SpongeBob pregame for a minute. You know, we had a little bit of both. But by that point in your night, you know, but around halftime, you got a couple of brews going. The kids are asleep. You know, you start to do some surrealism like that. Most parties are starting to freak out. Yeah, no, that 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 definitely was uh was was a was a shot out of left field. Was not expecting that, but yeah, the game nonetheless was at least entertaining, and that's all I can really ask for in a situation like this. Um, okay, plan for today. We're gonna break down the news about Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC in 2024. Adam Spencer is going to be joining us in a little bit to catch up on all things SEC hoops. And then we're going to close with adult injuries in figuring out and lad of the week. All right. So in case you somehow missed the big, big news late last week, Oklahoma and Texas are joining the SEC in 2024. It was originally like, ah, is this going to happen? 2025. It was so, so fitting that this broke roughly two hours after we finished recording on Thursday of last week. And if you listen to the T-Bob interview, uh, which you should do, I definitely talked about how it appeared Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC wasn't going to happen until 2025. And, oh, we're at least going to get this three-year war with Alabama and LSU in the West. And now it's like, uh, no, no, that that didn't end up happening. And don't you know it, we're going to see – uh, these these parties actually agree because that was the holdup. ESPN and Fox, they get what they wanted. It's a $100 million buyout that's going to be paid to the Big 12 from Oklahoma and Texas. And just like that, they are joining the SEC in 2024. So now the SEC's new deal with ESPN, the expanded playoff, and the expanded SEC are all set for 2024. A new era beckons. This is the last year of this current era of college football, whatever you want to call it. That was the headline from late last week. Yeah, as uh, Blink-182 said, I guess this is growing up. Uh, it's really kind of sad to see that, you know, a whole generation after this is going to grow up not knowing the SEC that we all knew and love that remained pretty much unchanged. I mean, I guess you can count the Arkansas editions and the, the championship format in 92, but then pretty much unchanged right until expansion and that like 2010 to 2012, like it, it, cause the expansion almost came out of nowhere too. So it wasn't like in 05 that it, it was a bunch of news of it. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess the cycles are getting shorter with the change, right? So it seems like about every five or six years now, there's kind of a reshuffling of the deck, a new playoff format, but even the BCS was so similar to what they used to do that it really wasn't that big, but going to the playoff and then going to the super conference, is it's just like i said you know our the the child that you were bringing into the world will not know the college football that we did it's kind of wild yeah it is it's weird to think about it like that and it used to be every 10 years and you're right now it's kind of more like every five and then we'll see where we're at and we'll we'll figure out what these contracts look like and if it's best for the sport to continue with this or if something should be changed and if ultimately there's an opportunity to make more money that's what's going to dictate the way that this was going to go. And my belief was always that the SEC wanted this move to coincide with playoff expansion, but just getting there wasn't always a given because it took the money being being handed over to Fox and you, you had the little you know home and home set up with Michigan and Texas so that Fox could air it. You had to figure out these things on the back end, but it was looking like, all right, there's a chance that this actually doesn't happen, but as it stands now, this means 2023, the last year of the SEC as we know it. 
I will spare you the rants on SEC buyouts and why it almost feels like athletic directors have agreed to such absurd buyouts because they don't want to be scrambling ahead of 2024 and they want to portray this model of stability. But as it relates to Texas and Oklahoma, that's interesting. And it is worth getting into because Sark and Venables both have fully guaranteed contracts. Busted out the old notepad this morning, Will. Got it right oh, here. Oh, yes. Yep. We had to draw some buyout figures. You see, I got some scribbles on there. Um, see, that's got... going to remain unchanged right there. That I have a notebook. Yep. Lots of... How many pages are we working with to go? Oh, uh, yeah, we have plenty. We, okay. we got like Good. three more of these things because they used to send them every single year and I, they would just sit in a closet. And then one day I decided this would be the perfect thing to have on my desk and crunch some buyout numbers. And so that's exactly what we do more often than not. We got to find consistency where we can in this uh, time of tribulation. Exactly. Exactly. So the notepad came out this morning, did a little internet research courtesy of the athletic and the AP. I got the calculator out and I figured out some buyout numbers because I wanted to do this after feeling like an idiot last week when I didn't know Sark's buyout terms immediately. I like to be able to just have that information just kind of spit out at a moment's notice because you never know when that subject is going to come up and you never know when you're going to have to talk about Sark on the hot seat or not on the hot seat. And I also wanted to know the buyout figures for Venables, especially after I saw T-Bob go on snaps and talk about how he should be very firmly on the hot seat and we need to be talking about this more. Didn't want to automatically disagree with T-Bob, but yeah, when you look at the numbers, you... uh you're going to probably disagree with him. Um, I'm going to make a bold prediction. I don't think Oklahoma, even on the heels of its worst season of the 21st century, worst season that they've had since 1998, I don't think that at the end of the 2023 season, they're going to pay Brent Venables $29.4 million to walk away. That's what it would cost. It's a lot of money. $29.4 million. Not after he just signed the number four high school class. He loaded up in the portal. Oklahoma is still clearly desperate to win the breakup with Lincoln Riley. They don't want to admit defeat on that. Mm, not Listen, they great. have a head of steam with that two-lane loss. If they start off hot, they might be right back in the conversation. Oklahoma didn't lose the two-lane last year. I'm just Come saying. Come on now. Come on yeah. now. Yeah. So if they go seven and five and they're they're totally gone from Big 12 title consideration like going into November and it's just another bad lost year I think it's still much more likely that Venables enters 2024 which would be Oklahoma's first year in the SEC firmly on the hot seat in sort of a prove it year instead of Oklahoma admitting prior to joining the SEC that it's kind of a total mess and that it's willing to pay what would be more than 30 million dollars to fire Venables and his staff remember that's a key part of this as well even after 2024 Still $22.2 million if you want to fire Brent Venables. It's a lot of money. Man, that deal, $7 million in base pay, fully guaranteed like that with, you know, 100000 I think it's, yeah, 100000 um, that it increases by each year. Like, that's just not an easy thing to do. And so you're kind of sitting there looking at it going like, ah, man, that's you're not just going to be able to snap your fingers and get out of that as much as you might want to. And as much as you might not feel like he's the guy long-term, that's why we talk about these things because it can ultimately keep a coach around for an extra year. Even if we on the surface, look at a team and say, they're not going anywhere. They don't necessarily deserve that kind of job security. It's not impossible with how flush with cash that they will be, that they would pay a buyout of 
upwards of $20 million or something like that because Oklahoma's never had to pay a buyout. They never really had to pay one because we know the Bob Stoops era spanned the entire 21st century up until Lincoln Riley. And that's an in-house thing. Lincoln Riley goes to USC. So they're not exactly well-versed in the art of buyouts. And maybe that's part of the reason why it looks like they kind of overpaid a little bit for Brent Venables. As for Sark though, to fire him after 2023 would be 18 million bucks. Mm. All things considered, that's not terrible. That's not terrible. Only slightly more than the $15 million that Tom Herman got, but more significant with the Tom Herman buyout was the fact that it took $24 million to fire him and his staff. That's a big number, really big number. To do so with Sark, I would imagine it's going to be even more than that. You're probably looking somewhere in the high 20s. I got to see how these contracts play out and all that. You're also essentially saying that you're willing to bail on one of the most decorated recruits ever in Arch Manning. That's part of this. It has right. to be considered part of this because I think a lot of us would love to think that every single player that signs on the dotted line for us is doing so to play for the school and not the coach. <laughs> that's just not, not how a bridge it works. to sell you, buddy. Yeah, that's just not how it works. Especially with five star quarterback recruits. History tells us if they lose their offensive play caller, um, you're holding your breath. You absolutely are. If Texas is awful this year on offense with a pre-draft eligible Quinn Ewers, that's not a guarantee that he's going to the NFL draft, but he's at least eligible for the 2024 NFL draft. If that happens with the number three offense in percentage of returning production, that might give me serious doubts about Sark's long-term upside. But it also must be included that Arch's future in Austin could be tied directly to Sark. We know how well-documented that was throughout the recruiting process. He's going to want to play for the right offensive mind. That's why it kind of made a little bit more sense why he went to Texas in the first place, because what's more likely to happen? A coordinator gets fired, and then all of a sudden you're wondering what the offense is going to look like after, or you have a head coach that calls plays, and he's got a little bit more long-term staying power than a coordinator in a scheme that you might like. So it complicates things. It does. It also complicates things that, as we know, coaches are so desperate to get that new contract after year three or in the midst of year three and before year four. They claim that it helps them in recruiting. Mm, mm, Disagree. I'll just hard disagree on that one. I would love to see Texas give Sark the Dan Mullen treatment after year three, which that's only if it's another disappointing season by Texas standards, which is Mostly are Texas standards. <laughs> Texas standards need some adjustment these days. <laughs> yeah. They really do. I don't is, is nine and three disappointing by Texas standards. Uh, it shouldn't be because I that don't would think be... so. Yeah. Heavens. No, if you would, I think that's extension standards. Yeah. That, that very well could be, that might be the case depending on what those wins are, but the Dan Mullen treatment would be to give Sark an extension, bump up the base pay, but maybe put that buyout at a flat number. Just say, Hey, if you're fired at any point, Here's 12 million bucks, which is basically what the buyout would be. It's like $12.2 million. That's what the buyout would be after 2024 if Texas didn't do anything. And they just said, we're not going to extend you. We're not going to fire you. We're going to let this contract kind of ride, see where we're at. Consider that my way of saying, I don't expect the Venables or Sark to be fired. And I think for at least one season, at least one season, we will call both of them SEC head coaches. Any disagreement there? Texas has two nine-win seasons since 2012. So one of them, one of them was the we're back season, 
Yes. Oh, and the other one was Mac Brown. It was 2012. Like that's yeah. That's or, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, that's that's it. Yeah, there's one. There's it. There's it's literally that is the bookmark. So I guess one since that's yeah. Yeah. Truff. So what is the Texas standard? I don't know. I don't know. Um, nine wins. <laughs> yeah, I think eight wins probably gets you somewhere. I mean, it's weird to think about that season being disappoint disappointing and that being their second best record since Mac Brown. <laughs> it's tough though because it's like. You could argue that this year with the Ewers injury, it was disappointing, but at the same time, you got to beat the tar out of Oklahoma. It was a down year one for Sark. You saw defensive improvement. You got Arch to come on board. Like as a whole, I don't know that it, I mean, Texas has had far more disappointing seasons than what we just saw in 2022. I think we sure. can say that with absolute certainty. This is the good stat. See, this I'm not good at uh, uh, article framing. They have two nine win seasons since their national title game appearance. Yeah, against, which was 2009 against Bama. Yep. So there you go. So 2009, so they have one nine-win Mac Brown season and then the we're back season, and that's it. So yeah, I think when you put it in those terms, like Sark feels a lot safer than I thought because I thought last year was disappointing, and now I'm like, wait, maybe not. Yes, things that are worth keeping in mind, definitely, for sure. And, and I, I do truly think that the the arch angle is, is part of this. It's going to be part of his job security and whether or not you would feel comfortable firing him because – you don't want somebody like that to walk out your door. That'd be a tough yep. look for Texas. It really would. Soon we will be able to call Arch Manning an SEC quarterback. It would be incredible. I'm not saying this will happen, but it would be incredible to see him as the starter going into 2024. And then maybe that year, his first year in the SEC, he gets road games at Ole Miss and at Tennessee. I was literally just thinking that this is all made up. It's all pixie dust. None of these things, whatever they say, are just, it's all, it's changing by the week. Let's just make that happen because it's going right. to be good television. Let's just not even be fake about it. It would be great television. You like, want to maximize have, the new TV yep. deal, ESPN? Make it happen. They have the bros in the that. stands, like kind of like going back and forth with each other. Because at that point, they could technically root against each other because he's not playing for either of their schools, really. Exactly. And like that's we're at a stage where we're when we're trying to figure out the scheduling where theoretically something like this could happen. And we're not as locked in as we currently are, obviously, with divisions, crossovers, all those different things. It's like. I'm just saying September 21st, 2024, the battle for UT, Texas at Tennessee would be awesome. Arch's SEC debut. I'm sure Tennessee fans would welcome him with open arms, mustard bottles, vape pens, golf balls, the works. He would get it. He would get it. That would be must see primetime TV, a perfect way for ESPN to kind of kick off this, this new deal with the SEC to show. Look at the power that we have now with Texas and Oklahoma on board with this as ESPN tries to combat this Big Ten resistance. Like That would be fascinating. But obviously, these things are going to get locked in probably before whether or not we're going to know something like that is official. All you can do is kind of put the pieces in place and hope that they fall in the direction that they want that you want them to ultimately end up. We cannot, though, assume that we know what SEC schedules are going to look like because they are very much up in the air. We're soon, I think, going to figure out what the new schedule format is. This was a, a huge domino to fall, obviously, to be able to determine what that's going to look like in 2024 and moving forward. SEC meetings in Destin this summer could probably lock that in. That's that's kind of the target date, I would guess. Maybe an announcement then. It's possible we get an announcement before then. It is possible. But you just think meeting in person, be able to do all this stuff. SEC coaches meeting, I think that's happening in March. Or we could have this decided right around the time of SEC media days in July. Uh, 
I think there's going to be a ton of questions on this. If that's not answered by SEC media days in July, we know based on the way the, the SEC likes to roll out the schedule in September, like they'll roll out the upcoming schedule for the following year. They'll do that in September. I think they should do it a different time of year. Do it in a slower time. You know what it's going to be probably like do it in, I don't know, do it end of May. Like I, right before the SEC meetings in Destin, like right before then, let's get, so you want out. them to ruin your vacation. It's not going to ruin my vacation. No, I was gonna, that's the like the only time you have off. Why would you want them to do that? But, but they were, I'm trying to help you, bro. No, 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 no. That that just makes things a little bit more interesting. We're, we're not pausing a vacation for the release of the ICC schedule. All right, let's let's be honest. It's all about the content game. It's trying to extend content throughout the entire offseason. That's that's the name of the game. Right. Um. So the timing of this is is kind of TBD. And as Senki discussed on the next round, we have so much more information about the playoff and what other conferences are doing to be able to kind of determine what is best for the conference schedule format. This was always about gathering information and not being the first conference to decide on this, because as I always say, there are strategic advantages that you can create with your conference and the way that you set up your scheduling model. Having said that, I now believe that the SEC will indeed have a nine-game conference schedule with three permanent rivals and six rotating home-and-homes. That would mean some rivalries that we know and love, know and love, would no longer be annual, and it would be very unfortunate if like Florida and Tennessee or Georgia and Auburn weren't playing annually, but they would still be playing. They would, The longest they would go without playing is two years. Okay. Right. So it's not like they're never playing again. It's not like they're going a decade without seeing each other. This isn't some Texas, Texas A&M situation where all of a sudden you're not going to know who your rival is. But I think there, that the, the upside of that from an entertainment standpoint is great. And especially now that we know what the 12 team playoff is going to be. And the fact that that's happening in 2024, the good news is that your team wouldn't go more than a decade without visiting somebody else's campus. I'm, in favor of that i'm in i might not i'm not saying that's unanimous i realize that there are people that don't care that georgia hasn't played a football game in college station since a&m joined the sec like there are people that don't care about that i like seeing these teams play everybody right i don't know like that's whatever i'll i'll take i'll take the l on that one but um i think some 14 pods are going to be tougher and fans are going to be upset about that but there should be, as a whole, more parity among conference scheduling, which there needs to be. There, there has not been parity, and I think we need to acknowledge that. We, we can't pretend like this system has been perfect because even though the divisions this past year might have been more balanced before, we're still talking about just two SEC East teams that have won the SEC in the post-Tebow era. That's not parity. That's not. like we, You can't call yourself a conference if you never see one another on the other side and if you're talking about such such an obvious uh, for lack of a better word, division between the balance of powers, balance of powers in the West. Okay. Yeah. That's the way it has been. I didn't suddenly stop referring to the SEC West as the best division in college football this year. It is. Okay. I believe it year over year. And now that's going to be a different discussion. I am not broken up about the likely scenario that divisions are breaking up. I'm not. I don't think anything is a guarantee. I'm not saying that's definitive that that's going to happen because again the sec has never gone with a nine game conference schedule for any non-covid seasons and there are some potential non-conference ramifications with this you could see some some very meaningful non-conference rivalries die or at least get kind of put on hiatus that's a bummer i hate that 
That's frustrating, but I still believe that we'll see better power five non-conference games because the schedules already reflect. If you look at the future schedules, spend a little bit of time on fbsschedules.com like I do. All Look at those future schedules as we enter this new era in the latter half of the decade. And we, we know you can be nine and three and make the college football playoff with a 12-team field. Look at some of these non-conference games that are setting up. It's great. It's going to be for the good of the sport. And I firmly believe that. But if it is the 3-6 model with a nine-game conference schedule in the ICC, that means we're about to see a whole lot of matchups get canceled, maybe tweaked. We're going to have to get a little bit creative. All these athletic directors that were getting on the phone and, oh, let's set up this matchup for 2028. Oh, hey, what about a home and home here? Blah, blah, blah. If you were an overzealous AD in the 2010s, (laughs) you're probably getting back on the phone again and doing some damage control because from 2024 to 2030, There are 38 instances of an SEC non-conference schedule that already has four games in it. That is not cheap to get rid of those games. That like, and you can bet we're about to see some of those seven-figure checks handed over. That boy Hunter Urichek got that out of office memo on his email right now. Like, yeah, Hunter, I just want to talk to you about. Uh, I'm gone for the foreseeable future. Don't talk to me about any of these BYU matchups. Don't talk to me about any of these weird. Nope, it wasn't me. Wasn't me. Nope, wasn't me. Uh, no idea who who set up all these matchups. Uh, let, let you know what? What does schedule look like in twenty forty one? Yeah, we, we'll, we'll we'll fit you in, man. We'll just defer. We won't pay the buyout. We'll just defer. How's twenty sixty two sound? You got you you looking good? You gonna be alive in twenty sixty two? If you're alive, let's we'll, we'll put it we'll put it in the agreement. If each of us are still alive and we're still on Earth and the robots haven't come yet, we'll play football twenty sixty two. You know what? Better yet, we'll throw in a third one. What? Well, I'm not little FCS team. I'll give you a borderline neutral site game. Okay. How about that? You know, Georgia- what's funny? I could actually see that kind of happening because these ADs are so stubborn. It's going to end up like these NBA draft pick deferments where it's like, we don't want to pay the buyout because we don't want the optics of that. So we'll just get you on the next round. There's going to be these like hanging schedules just hanging out. It's like, yeah, Hawaii and Arkansas have this home and home from like 2025 and it's yep. 2062 and you need to get that in. And their, their current AD, Hunter Juracek the third is just like, nah, not this year, bro. Can we get you next year? It's, it's the year is 2052. Georgia and Mercer are set to take on each other at at mercedes-benz how did this happen you ask well once upon a time we got a little bit ahead of our skis with planning schedules and don't you know it this was the compromise that georgia gave old mercer yep gonna happen get ready for it some awkward conversations are coming if the nine game conference schedule is coming whether the league could set up something to be able to to take that money from future tv earnings eh, not sure because if i'm a team like tennessee who didn't have four non-conference foes for any future season. I'm not exactly thrilled about the idea of covering someone else's canceled matchup just because Scott Strickland got the the zoomies and decided to set up four non-conference matchups for four of Florida's next nine seasons. I don't need to cover that if I'm Tennessee. I don't know. Maybe the SEC is going to let is going to decide, hey, we're going to everybody's kind of in this spot. We've got like nine teams that are dealing with this. Let's just kick in a little bit extra. We're going to cover this matchup that didn't need to be set up in 2029. We're going to get that FCS team off your schedule. We're going to take care of it. If that's the plan, all right, whatever. That's fine. It's kind of lame. I think everybody should have to kind of cover their own buyouts, but that's just me. Listen, it's all fun and games till Scott Strickland gets the zoomies. I know, right? A sentence that's been said roughly two times just on this podcast. Yeah, that's why you come here. Back to Texas and Oklahoma. Jason Kirk suggested an idea that I love but will never happen. Texas and Texas A&M kick off every season. 
can you imagine talk radio in the state of Texas? It would be good. It would be so good. That, in theory, is the best way to bring this rivalry back. In reality, AM already has five week one games set up from 2024 to 2029. And the idea of playing a week zero game annually doesn't sound like something they'd be down for. AM not exactly known for the whole compromising thing. But I love this thinking. This thinking is good. Creativity right now should be welcomed with open arms. This is the time in which we got to go outside of the box. We need new trophies for these games. I want adjustable trophies for Texas and like Arkansas or something. Let's have horns that are like naturally positioned horizontally. If Texas wins, it gets to put the horns up. If Arkansas wins, it gets to put the horns down. Why would Texas agree to this, you ask? Because if the trophy is just something that's like entirely in Texas's likeness, it looks like it's all about them. And it kind of feeds into their ego. It's like, all right, just go win a trophy game. Just go do it. For Oklahoma and like Mizzou, I don't know, a team that would be considered lesser than them that could actually get this done. Oklahoma's not getting this deal done with Alabama or something like that. But Oklahoma and Mizzou, maybe Sooner Schooner is is at an upright position, but if Mizzou wins, it gets to tilt the Sooner Schooner onto its side, something like that, and then we can all just kind of laugh at it. If Oklahoma and Texas can't accept a little friendly hazing or at least risk a little friendly hazing, they've got another thing coming. They're about to get all up in their feelings. We need to have fun with this. This would be great. The day after the Nick Bolton game when you're going to have Adam Spitzer on, you're just going to dump on Mizzou like that, huh? I, that's not dumping. You said they're, they're, it's one of these little piddly teams. Like <laughs> Drink was the one who got to SEC Media Days and asked in the day and the day after Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC became reality. He was the one who said, Hey, Sankey, are we still gonna get flagged if we do horns down? Mizzou is the perfect team no, for this. Yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm just playing with you. That actually would be a sick rival because they are, I mean, they are like they have a history. That's like we gotta kind of be smart about some of these things. Like, yeah. Arkansas, Texas, like we have a little bit of that going yeah. on. We don't need to reinvent the wheel and make like an Arkansas, Florida rivalry. Like, let's just do things naturally and not break team, you know? And Arkansas wants a rival so badly that why not just give in? Why not have this trophy? If the compromise is the horns are mostly up most of the time, actually, you know what? I'm going to take that back. Leave the horns up. Leave the horns up. At all times, but just give me the adjustment to be able to put the horns down on this trophy. So at a neutral state, like you could even set up months in which they're definitely not going to be down. But as long as Arkansas wins that football game, horns got to go down on that trophy. Play it in Texarkana. Yeah. (laughs) Who could forget? Um, You could make the case that Texas and Oklahoma are joining the SEC at a really unstable time for them. Oklahoma, as we said, just had its worst season of the 21st century. And Texas's best season in the last 13 years, as we were just talking about, was a four-loss season in 2018. And then Texas claimed it was back, which I remember as the night that that sorry excuse for a mascot, Bevo, <laughs> attacked our beloved Uga. For shame. How She'll wild is Texas beating Georgia not that long ago? <laughs> South Carolina beating Texas or South Carolina beating Georgia a year after feels wilder than Texas beating Georgia. They have at least two big wins since then. I feel like Texas has been significantly worse than South Carolina. 
Yeah, no, I mean, and I say that not to hate on the current state of South Carolina, but just knowing what awaited the rest of that 2019 season for South Carolina and how bad they were in 2020. Yeah. That's the more unbelievable that's, that's thing. Yeah, Muschamp is that. Now he's on your staff. Yeah, that's a good point. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the way that this is going to set up for the ICC, though, could actually work out really well. It can, because you get to reap the benefits of the massive markets that Oklahoma and Texas are going to bring in. So you're going to be able to get the benefits of that with the TV contract. There is also zero doubt that the SEC is going to be deemed a massive super conference in the 12-team playoff era, which is very important. And alternatively, if you had told... So we don't always have this figured out. Because if you had told SEC fans that AM would enter the conference and then in year one, they would deliver a top five season with a win against Bama on a Heisman Trophy winner... Everyone would have laughed you out of the room because at the time, AM had one top 25 finish in the 21st century. And Mizzou, as we know, expectations very, very low. And year one, they weren't particularly good. And then year two, year three, they surprised everyone by winning the East. But it's tough because those programs haven't been able to sustain that level of success. That's difficult, right? I mean, they they, they came in and they're like, hey, we belong. We've done this, this, and this. But it is so difficult to to maintain that high level in this conference, especially when you are the newcomer. So that's my way of saying I could, I could map out all these projections for Texas and Oklahoma, and we can talk about this and that, and, well, what's their offense going to look like? But these things can change on a dime, and in all likelihood, they probably will. Listen, SEC tastemakers, if you're listening to this podcast, I just got to tell you as an LSU fan, you know what really matters to us, that A&M rivalry, we got to have that, right? You guys have made that our biggest rival. Don't get rid of that. Arkansas, battle for the boot. Who could forget? Great trophy. Can't get rid of that. Florida, love playing the Florida Gators. You guys hear me talk about it all the time. Those are the only three rivals LSU needs. No sense in playing Alabama or Auburn or Ole Miss. Okay. All right. But here's the thing. These rivalries wouldn't be going away. Right. They, they would just not be annual. And, and I'm I'm gonna upset some people by saying that. I, I know. But at the same time, if you tell me, okay, you'll go two years without playing team X, doesn't that add a little bit more juice? That's kind of a new chapter. Some of these games, I'm gonna upset some people by saying this. Some of these games aren't as essential as you think they are. Yeah. They're not. They're getting less essential for sure. And we will adjust our expectations. I I totally understand the tradition standpoint and being able to set your watch to a specific game each time of year. And that, that is something like I, I am sitting here admitting that with my background, not understanding the sentimental value that you listener at home have to certain games that might not move the needle nationally. I'm, I totally understand it from that standpoint. But it's not like it's going away forever. You will still get those games. They just won't be quite as often. And if that's the biggest thing that we lose with expansion, which I'm not saying that it is definitively, but from the onset, that's kind of the, that that's the fear is that this isn't going to be, you know, it's not even your older brother's college football. I under, I would be willing to part ways with that. I understand it come from a different perspective and all of it. Yeah. And I mean, we see that all the time with Georgia, right? Because Georgia, um, <clears throat> you know, they had to go a couple of years, you know, where they didn't play Bama. Uh, then obviously, you know, Kirby hadn't beaten LSU until this year because they they got him two years in a row with Joe Burrow. So that was like a funny piece of trash talking that made no sense, but I was able to say it because they didn't see LSU again. And then conversely, do you know the only team in the SEC that Kirby Smart has not beaten? 
No team in the SEC that he is not beaten. Okay, because I just had the AM thing, but they beat AM in 2020. Um they beat Mississippi State this year. Um oh man. Is it Ole Miss? Yes, sir. Yeah. They That's... are 0-1 under Kirby because they played them like year one when they yeah. were kind of like sorry. And they just I, I don't even remember the final score, but I know they lost. And so point being, that's the only team Kirby hasn't beaten because of the weird way it sets up now. You know what I'm saying? So getting us away from that, like to your point about, you know, AM in Florida, like all these weird like things that are happening now, it's like I kind of would rather as funny as it is to just be like, Oh yeah, well, Kirby's not a real uh not a real champion until he beats LSU. Like I would rather play these teams every couple of years to kind of get a temperature check. And, you know, I, I do think that's better now. Part of it, it which kind of sucks, is that on the West, you know, you went from having to be perfect and be all these good teams to then you would go to nine-game conference schedule and see all these other good teams, see Georgia, see Florida, or you'd always see Florida, but see Tennessee. And that, that is another unfortunate, not to like ramble, but that's that's kind of the unfortunate part is finally it feels like Tennessee is starting to pull their weight for the second time in the BCS era. And it's like, ah, oh, this might be the most balanced these divisions have been. You know, we're talking about Bama kind of going through it, LSU on the rise, Auburn on the rise. And then you have like, you know, Florida, what are they doing? Kentucky, what are they? but like, this is like, it should hopefully shave out to be a pretty balanced last year. And I'd like to see these teams grow, but at the same time for the health of the conference to keep up with the big 10 and Chicago Bears CEO, Kevin Warren, you got to do what you got to do. Sometimes you just got to rip it up. How dare you for one. That was that was unnecessary. Didn't appreciate that. Um, I've forgotten for the last like two days that Kevin Warren is now a member of the Chicago Bears. Um, yeah, I mean, nobody's going to get to the SEC championship just skating by. Right. And I would argue there have been points 2015 Florida, 2016 Florida, uh, that there have been teams that have skated by and got to the SEC championship. And no longer is that going to be the case if it is just as simple as no divisions, top two teams best records overall, it's going to be a gauntlet. It's going to be a gauntlet for everybody, and it'll have more of a feel of what that 2020 season was. And I remember Arkansas fans, Mizzou fans, were really upset because they saw the games that got added to their schedule, and it's like, all right, now you get to play Georgia, now you get to play Alabama, congratulations, good for you. But at the same time, there is still going to be a a scenario in which you luck out. You, you luck out and I, I don't necessarily think that that we're going to see all all of a sudden like the SEC just doesn't feel like this power conference It's going to feel like the power conference every single year winning this 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 version of the SEC with 16 teams is going to be the ultimate feat and it will feel like a national championship in the same way that it has for the last 15 16 years. Uh, really quick, and then I have one more thing exactly off of your point about that. I can't wait to see, you know, the SEC does a great job of messaging, of packaging, and I want to see how they do their definitive, like, SEC schedule release. So it's like, all right, you guys get to play around with your Fox deal in the Big Ten. Da, da, da. The adults are here. How are we going to do this? And, like, to your point, it's going to be really well thought out. I promise they've thought of every option. You might not like it, but they're going to be 100% behind it. It's not going to be like, we'll try this for two years. It's going to be like, here's what we're doing. Here's what you're doing. You sure. Might, I don't care what you have to say because you got you got to deal with this now if you're a Big 12 fan. And um, that that as well as, you know, old school college football fans are going to have to get used to losing. Uh, they're going to have to get used to scheduling these big non-con games and losing them. And being okay with losing in the regular season and knowing great that your point. season isn't over. And I think that it's hard when you root against teams like Georgia and Alabama to have one loss and that that could potentially derail their season. Those teams will never go away again. You will have to beat those teams in the playoff. Even if you beat them in the regular season, that's what the 12 team sets up for. But if you're a program on the rise, like 
LSU last year, even after the A&M situation, you know, they could have potentially gotten into the 12 team playoff. Um, so I think that it does a lot of hopium for you because no team season is over. So those last games are going to be so critical with these teams sitting at eight wins. You know what I'm saying? Sitting at maybe, maybe another like ranked matchup or a rivalry matchup or something could get them in and, and vault them into those at large spots. So that's the thing that I'm kind of starting to realize, like we're adopting this NFL model because uh, I, I do think the the 14 playoff was terrible and it really devalued bowl games. Um, but at the end of the day, like it's gone now. So whatever. So we're here and it's like, okay, you need to be used to have not like, uh, I'm trying, I'm not, I'm not trying to like gatekeep or anything, but I can't describe to you the feeling of like how I felt after FSU this year. It's like, Oh, the season might be over and it's been a week. Like, and it might be like, it college just- football is so unique. It's the only sport yep. where you can definitively say that. And you're right. We do have to adjust our expectations. And some will say it's bad that we have to adjust our expectations, which I agree. There's uh there is a, and you know, not to go full Josh Pate. Like, obviously there is such great value in the regular season because it feels like a playoff game, even though it's, it's in the middle of September or, you know, late October, whatever the case may be, but we will adjust our expectations. We will. That is what we have always done. And even though you might be more nostalgic for a certain era of college football, I'm not saying that this is definitively the best. We will still be very entertained by it. And it will still be a product that is so unbelievably consumed and it will feel more competitive, at least within the SEC. I can't speak to the Big Ten. Can't speak to the Big Ten. But within the SEC, it will still feel like getting out of there nine and three with a chance to go to the playoff. Wow, look what we did. And then all of a sudden you're going to be like, well, is this the team that's just going to get hot at the right time? And there will be so many that we will wonder about from the SEC who are allowed to at least have that thought, that hopium, if you will, going into the playoff. Well, and exactly to your point, man, I think being in the SEC is the best position you could be in because you, you all of those teams that will be considered with less than stellar records are pretty much going to be SEC teams. Don't sell me, you know, eight and four Indiana. Sorry, not to dump on you, but, you know, of not, not all just... the teams <laughs> to pick, William. My goodness. I, I feel like they're just kind Ricochet. of like a mid-level big team because there are like some like there are some like Northwestern teams that maybe could have made a shot in the 12, like a team that like eight and four. Like, I don't think that team would be considered as a big 10, but it, I'm sorry. Did you just call Indiana a mid-level big 10 team? I mean, I, I think so. Yeah, right. You're forgiven. You're. Forgiven. I was about to say, You're like good. that's that's kind that's of what the they're nicest, hoping for. You know what I'm saying? Out, that is going to be on a billboard in Bloomington. <laughs> well, <laughs> Indiana, a mid-level Big Ten. That oh. is all right. That's a win. But right, you know what I'm saying. So as an SEC fan, you gotta you gotta be like okay with that. But what I'm actually saddest about now that I think about it is the meme game, right? I mean, if you're Tennessee and you beat Bama, you post meme after meme after meme, and it's like we beat Bama. We're not gonna have to see him oh, again. Good da, point. Da, da. But if you gotta see Bama in the postseason, suddenly all those memes are fair mm. use if they beat you the second time, and it's well, you celebrated a regular season win. You don't know what winning's about. Not, I mean, think about like the thing about the goalpost in a playoff world might not even happen, man, because you gotta go get those things. It was the playoff game. Dang. All right. No, never mind. You're right. Get us back to the BCS era. This is going to be bad. This is going to be terrible. I'm here for the content. It's all about the content. Yep. All right. Before we kick to Adam, quick word from our friends at Underdog Sports Betting. Not legal in all these states. Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina. You might have heard of them. Most of the SEC states. I want to talk to you about Underdog Fantasy. You might have tried Daily Fantasy in the past, but Underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now, and they have some awesome contests where you can compete for real money. It is a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive arrangement with Underdog. If you go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog, 
You can automatically double your deposit when you join, sign up, throw in 50 bucks, they'll throw in 50 more dollars. It is a great way to get some money to play on these contests. Every week you can pick higher or lower for different players. Very similar to sports betting player props. You can put real money on the line. And like I said, legal and live in states like Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, et cetera. Underdog is awesome. Super fun to do while you're watching football. Or I guess right now you're probably watching a little bit more college basketball. You're getting into some hoops, be able to get on, get on some underdog action with that. I know Adam, has been doing a great job with all of our underdog content on SaturdayDownSouth.com. So follow all of Adam's great advice. Get some hoops picks in. Uh, get a little bit of action in the game. You can win real money doing it. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog. Take advantage of our promo where underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. $100 absolutely free. SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog. All right, let's get to Adam. Now I'm excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is our own Adam Spencer. Uh, Adam, how high are you riding today? after Nick Bolton stole the show, should have won MVP of the Super Bowl. Yeah, he should have had two touchdowns. They took one away. It was, uh, you know, typical typical anti-Mizzou bias at all levels and all things, you know, as you're very aware. Um, but yeah, he was he was robbed of the MVP. He was uh, he was all over the place. And uh, just it was it was awesome to see him. It was awesome to see him do his thing and uh, and uh, make the Tigers proud. The script couldn't have Mizzou having nice things or at least two nice of things, two touchdowns. Like, come on, what are we doing here? That's, that's, and, that's a bit and much. an MVP and an MVP. No, they're not going to let that happen. So <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, the script does say that Chase Daniel gets to keep getting millions and millions of dollars to just sit on the bench. So I guess that's, that's pro Mizzou. Um, but it's yeah, a good for, life. It's a good life. If you can get it, it's the best life, man. The absolute best <laughs> life football's over. So here to talk some hoops, let's start with Bama. Um, number one in the country for the first time in 20 years, that team, you see it on Saturday, just tough as nails. They just kept fighting against Auburn and made so many smart plays on the stretch, especially defensively. And you're just kind of sitting there wondering like, wow, like, is this team different than some of these past NATO teams that we've seen, obviously on this stage and looking like, all right, maybe a final four run, but it's starting to, to, to make, I think at least the, the casual fan wonder is this the new favorite for a national champ? Do you think Bama is peaking too early or do you think this is sustainable? I think it's sustainable. Uh, I, I think that we've, you know, we've seen at loss at Oklahoma. And I mean, I, I thought that they were going to blow out Oklahoma on the road because I thought that the real wake up call was winning by three at home against Mississippi state in the game before the SEC big 12 challenge. I was a little concerned at what I saw in that game. And then, you know, I thought, okay, well, sorry, Sooners, but here comes Alabama again. But uh, no, they got they got smoked. But that ended up being the lesson. So, you know, then they bounced back and beat Vanderbilt by a billion. And uh, that's not much of an exaggeration. Nope. Um, you know, they, they've done uh, – they've done – this is what is different about this team. Uh, even – a couple years ago when Alabama went like 16 and two and won the SEC regular season and uh, tournament titles, you know, before the SEC tournament started and they obviously went on a run there to win, um, you know, they were still a little inconsistent. You know, they were, they were playing a lot of these close games, but uh, you know, last year's team was so up and down, you know, the highs were very, very high beating three of the four final four teams from the year before. Uh, and then the lows were very, very low, you know, not even finishing, in the top I don't think they finished in the top three in the SEC standings last year so you know now this year is a more consistent team and that's what Nate Oates wants you know he wants the guys you know you 
you're always going to have a streakiness with Javon Quinterly. When he's going right, he can carry the team offensively. When he's going wrong, though, like you can only play him like 10 minutes in a game because going to make some mistakes that take you out of it. But this, this year's team has more options. Jaden Bradley is a freshman who isn't getting enough credit. He still makes some freshman mistakes, but he's pretty good with the ball in his hands. Uh, you know, they have Brandon Miller, obviously, who gets all the headlines and uh, the borderline KD comps. Um, but, uh, you know, he also uh, they also have Noah Clowney, who is a freshman. So that's a really good freshman class that deserves a lot of credit. And then NATO did a good job putting Mark Sears uh, in that group, too, as a, as a veteran transfer player. So he's got a good balance and uh, they know what they're doing. And I expect it to be sustainable. OK, so Brandon Miller, he is. I think right now putting himself in the conversation of a Jabari Smith, of an Anthony Edwards, um, very likely it'd be a stunner if he wasn't somehow uh, SEC freshman of the year. Do you think that he could end up being the best SEC freshman in recent memory? Because you can kind of look down the line and, and find like a flaw in each one of those guys in recent memory. And then if you want to include Moses Moody, who had that deep run with Arkansas, but you know, wasn't necessarily particularly good in the NCAA tournament. Like, would you say that he has that kind of ceiling to be the best SEC true freshman, even of that bunch? Yeah, I mean, I think he's there. Um, I think that uh, you know he needs to develop more consistency against some of the better teams in the league. Like, I'm excited to see Wednesday night's game at Tennessee. That's still a really good. You know, even though they gave up 86 points to Mizzou on uh, on Saturday, that's still a really really good Tennessee defense uh, and it's a tough road environment you know Brandon Miller didn't have his best game by any means at Auburn on Saturday so he you know he, he still needs to prove that he can go into tough road environments and do some of that um, but I do I like I like his game so far he's uh, you know he can create a shot which is really tough to do um, against tight defenses, uh, especially with everybody keying on you. Um, so, you know, I, I think that he has the potential. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be up to some of his Alabama teammates how far this team goes in March. Uh, you know, they had a bit of a letdown last year. Uh, you know, Arkansas has been the team that's made the deepest run the past couple years out of the SEC. So, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how far this team goes. I, you know, he's got a chance, though, if he continues to improve as this goes along. I mean, yeah, I – I know that, you know, Victor Wimbanyama is going to go number one overall in the NBA draft. Uh, but, you know, he, number two was supposed to be Scoot Henderson. But, you know, there's some talk that he might not go number two. I think that that is the ceiling for Brandon Miller if all goes well. I think that he is that good. I think that he can be that talented. And you know that Alabama fans would love it if he was drafted a spot ahead of where Jabari Smith went last year. Yeah, that would be oh gosh. It's just in case there's not enough, you know, you see, right. like everything right now with Alabama and Auburn and that rivalry, what it's become in basketball is it's fun. Like it's it's fun to be able to have good back and forth like that and the trolling and, and all that goes into it. Um, I think both feel like they have their long-term coach. Nate Oates gets his his new deal, his extension signed. I threw out this question on Twitter, like who's gonna be at Alabama longer? Nate Oates or Nick Saban, which is now a perfectly realistic question, or at least it kind of feels like it. Is he your number one coach in the SEC right now, or is that still Musselman? Um, I think right now it's Nate Oates. I mean, you know, because if he continues down this stretch, uh, and you know, obviously Musselman has the tournament, uh, the NCAA tournament resume now but uh you know he doesn't have the sec tournament championship 
or the regular season championship that Nate Oates had a couple years ago. So, you know, I, I think that Nate Oates is uh, number one this year. I think that we're going to look back at last year's team as just like a, a very inconsistent team with a lot of talent, but just didn't have the right. I think Nate Oates learned a lot about the guys that he wants on his team and the mix that he wants uh, from last year's team. And, and I think that we're seeing the fruits of that pay off right now. Uh, so I, I think, yeah, I think he's the best uh, coach right now. Musselman, you know, the hogs before they, you know, hit a skid on Saturday a little bit, but he's getting his guys trending in the right direction for March. Uh, you know, I, I think that the beef there with, uh, with him would be, you know, I, I'm sure Arkansas fans would like for them to get all their, inconsistencies out during non-conference play instead of starting one in three in sec play one in five in sec play like they have a couple of these past couple years uh so they're there in march but they need to just figure things out quicker in non-conference play and uh so yeah but muscleman's still a close second to what uh what what oats is doing well like you said with arkansas i think you know obviously the, the loss to, to mississippi state saturday setback but you still look back at the weekend in the whole, you're like, all right, well, you won at Kentucky. You feel like you're heading in the right direction at the right time. And ironically enough, it kind of feels like in, in a weird way, Arkansas is doing what Kentucky used to do so well with Cal was all, all these new faces. And then you just get better. You just get better. You figure out what your roster looks like. And then by the end of the year, you're the team that like nobody wants to run into. Why has Arkansas been able to figure this out despite obviously having the key injuries? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, Devo Davis has started to play better after sort of an up and down early stretch. Uh, he, you know, he even took a few days away from the team to, to you know, I don't know what he was going through or what he was dealing with, but, uh, you know, you never like to see something like that. But since he's been back, he's been awesome. Uh, Anthony Black has been uh, developing more consistency. Uh, you know, the, the Mitchell uh, brothers are doing – some better work down low in the post. You know, they're pretty stout defensively. Uh, Ricky Council is obviously one of the key impact transfers into the league. You know, he's a he's a bucket. Um, and, yeah, they still have that looming Nick Smith Jr. aspect of this. Like He could be back next week. He could be back the week after. And if he's back and healthy, if he can do everything that he's supposed to do on a basketball court, you know, that's that's like – it's like adding a Brandon Miller type to a team right now. You know, he's, he's a top five pick in the NBA draft if, if all goes well. So, uh, you know, they're, they're definitely a team to watch and, you know, come close to hitting their ceiling yet. Your unbiased year one coach of the year in the SEC is who? Right now it's Dennis Gates. Uh, you know, unbiased or uh, biased though? Would you say year one? Yeah. Unbiased or biased is the key question there. Well, I, I think of the year one coaches, uh, only only uh, you know Chris Jans has a because he beat you know Todd Golden and uh, and Chris Jans beat Dennis Gates head to head, but those were both true road games in the SEC. So you know I, I I don't hold it against them too much. None of them, neither. Well, I guess you know Todd Golden beat uh, beat Tennessee too, but that was also in Gainesville. Mizzou's the only one that went in there and uh, beat Tennessee in Knoxville. Sure. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, the the Tigers have just completely revamped their offense. Uh, I, I I just love the way that this team plays. Uh, you know, they they have the best record out of all the first year coaches. So 
Yeah, maybe it's a little bit biased, um, but I, I think there's a, a very strong case to be made for, uh, for you know, Dennis Cates being the top year one SEC coach right now. More likely situation to end up in disaster in March, a confident Tennessee or a confident Auburn backcourt? Yeah. <laughs> uh... Yeah, I, I think uh, I think the more likely I I really think that uh, Tennessee, if they can't figure out this whole offense thing, they're they're looking at another potential early exit against a team like Mizzou. Like they wouldn't do that in the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament, put them up against Mizzou. But uh, a team like Mizzou that can that can get hot from three point range is exactly the kind of team that uh, that could beat the Vols and has beat the Vols this year. So, you know, I just, I really think that uh, they've got to figure out a way to create some buckets when they're it, like, it just seems like when Tennessee's down five, it's almost like an insurmountable lead against some teams. Obviously they had a nice comeback against Mizzou to make that one close. But uh, I, I just really think that uh, Tennessee's offensive ineptitude at times is really going to hurt it come tournament time. How would you fix this version of Kentucky? that's a really tough question. I mean, I think, uh, I think obviously right now they're dealing with some injuries. Um, you know, they've got, they had, they were without severe Wheeler and CJ Frederick. Uh, and they, they missed CJ Frederick last year. I, I, it's just, it's unfortunate now that finally when after weeks of everybody else telling him that this was the best five lineup with, uh, with case Wallace, Antonio Reeves, CJ Frederick, uh, Jacob Toppin and Oscar Shibwe, then now Frederick gets hurt. So now he has to shuffle things around. So he was finally starting to play that lineup more. Uh, so this is just unfortunate timing. I do think once they get Frederick back, once they get Severe Wheeler back as part of that bench rotation, I think that's that the caveat. Be... Bench rotation for Severe Wheeler. Right. Yeah. yeah. Not, not as the starting point guard, not as the primary ball handler in crunch time. You can't go back to that. So. You know, I just I, I think, you know, even even though Kaysan Wallace didn't score until like the final minute against Georgia, like he was still making some nice plays. It wasn't his fault that uh, Kentucky lost that game at Georgia. Um, so, you know, I, I just think health is the big thing. And, uh, yeah, getting Wheeler back on that bench to to be a, a leader for that second unit, I think, is really the key. Let's close with a, a fun hypothetical that I'm sure Kentucky fans will definitely appreciate. Um, let's just say that in the midst of this very deflating season, at least it's been so far, that it's another early exit for Kentucky in the NCAA tournament. Cal is at a loss at season's end. Um, you know you know that Oscar's leaving. Mitch Barnhart, Cal, they're still at odds. I mean, that that's not going to change anytime soon. No new facility approval. Like, yeah, the recruiting class is great, but let's just say that Cal says enough is enough. I kind of just want to move on and Kentucky agrees to pay him some like lump sum of 18 million bucks or something like that. And just say, all right, let's, let's start new. Let's start fresh. The list of potential candidates for that job. I want you to give me a yeah or a nah based on whether you could ever see it happening. So we'll have some bonus. Okay. Obvious one to start because of the, the area ties, Chris Holtman. <laughs> no, <laughs> no way. I don't think, oh, I don't think Kentucky fans would settle for that. Eric Musselman. I could see that. Uh, I wouldn't characterize it as likely, but uh, you know, I would, I would expect them to make plenty of phone calls. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? That'd be stupid not to. Um, interesting one. Mark few. 
I'm going to say no, but that is another interesting one. I think he is ready to just, you know, he, I think he really wants to be the guy at Gonzaga for as long as possible. And he, I think he really wants to bring a title out there, but uh, yeah, I, that's a really interesting one that I, you got to make that call too, if you're Kentucky for sure. This one pains me, but I'll say it anyways. And I understand he's 67 years old, but Calvin, <laughs> Calvin Sampson. Oh, I thought you were going to go Rick Pitino, but I think he's no. even older. <laughs> uh, no. Kelvin Sampson, I mean, he's doing a heck of a job at Houston. I I can see him taking the job if he was offered it um, just for one last run at a major program. Um, I, I wouldn't. I think that that would be a really good hire for Kentucky, too, just the way that he's turned Houston into a top five program. Matt Painter. I can see that, too. Um I, I really could. I think his legacy at Purdue, um, but you know, if, if this year is not the year that they exactly. won the title, then, then what year is going to be Purdue's year? And yeah, you can get a lot more uh, great recruits at Kentucky as time has proven. Last one. Uh, just cause I'm a sicko. Chris Beard. Oh man. <laughs> I don't think that they would, they would do that. Uh, you know, he's, <laughs> he's going to have to rehab his image somewhere else. Uh, before potentially uh, getting back into the big, big time college basketball. Um, but I could see Cal going to Texas. Okay. That's interesting. Cal goes to Texas. Rick Pitino goes to Kentucky. Chris Beard there, goes yeah. to Iona. Uh, there we go. Three-way oh. trade. All right. Love it. Love <laughs> it. Adam, appreciate the time. Everyone go subscribe to our basketball newsletter, bluechipgrit.com. Uh, great, great stuff over there. Great coverage on SDS all year. Um, yeah, I'm sure I'll have you back on very, very soon. And we'll uh, we'll have to be talking SEC tournament in the very near future. Oh, yeah. Sounds good. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring it out, we're talking adult injuries. I was convinced that we had done this before and figuring it out. I really was. We did like rec league stuff, which I think is very tied. I think lots yeah. of people's adult injury have come from rec league, but I do love this topic because lots of them don't. Yes, exactly. And that was the only overlap that I really saw. Um, unless I'm just, and I went back and I searched and I, I, I made sure that it was not in there. So unless there's some sort of hole in my game, uh, we have not done this before. And I figured it'd be a good time to do it because Pat Mahomes reminded all of us that he is superhuman playing through that ankle injury and the rest mm -hmm. of us are mortals. Um, yeah. And you know, that's, I mean, will somebody last night at, at your house brought up the subject of doing something through a sprained ankle. They definitely 100%. did, right? 100%. Were you that person, Will? I was not that person. I, I think we all had a nice little convo about it. But, I mean, um, you know, Peyton, who I was talking about, the ex-Army guy that I lived with was there. So when, it, when Peyton is any type of a subject, he's just like, right, you'd have to kill me to take me off that field. You'd have to kill me. Yeah, totally. Which, I, Mahomes, similar mindset. Definitely. 100%. Might have had to kill him. And even that, I'm like, I don't know. Like, the, the ghost of Mahomes could probably still throw for, you know, at least two touchdown passes probably still would have had a chance in that game. Um, but yeah, I have only had one kind of ankle sprained ankle horror story. It could have been a horror story and it really wasn't three days before Lauren and I got married. I was in Indianapolis. I do boot camp workouts early in the morning with her mom at their health center downtown, which I've talked about before. So we were mm -hmm. doing a running workout through the, the streets of Indianapolis 
before the sun came up. I rolled my ankle on a pothole in the middle of the street that I thought was going to be really bad. And I just kind of kept running through it. And the whole time I'm thinking, Lauren is going to kill me if I limp down the aisle or if I'm injured in any way at our wedding, all because I just had to get this workout in three days before our wedding. You know, like that would have just been killer. But the funny thing about ankle sprains is that sometimes it's not nearly as bad as you think they're going to be. I walked just fine down the aisle, got a few reminders over the next few weeks that I had tweaked it, but it never really stopped me from doing anything. Oh my have gosh, you, thought- you know what you should have done is come out on crutches and then throw them sideways and just swag walk down that. <laughs> you missed on that one. That would have been fire because people are like, oh, Connor just got hurt. Like the people that know you're like, oh, is he going to be okay? Like, oh gosh, he's really struggling through it. They're just, no, sir. Phyllis's dad is getting walked down the aisle in the wheelchair by Michael. <laughs> Michael said, Michael's like, nope, this isn't your moment. Sit down. <laughs> Sit down. That would have been me. Uh, have you suffered a significant ankle sprain as an adult? Significant ankle sprain? No, it's all my back. My ankles are almost not even involved in any type of lifting or physical activity because my my form is so strange. So really, it's, it's all going to the back. How bad has the back injury been? Because those are um, brutal. It's not bad. I, I So I won't necessarily generally recommend a chiropractor, but ours over here is awesome in Atlanta. And he's like a real, like real, real, real dude who's like been you know, a student of the game forever. And so he's helped me out a ton. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm taking, how about this? The older I've gotten, it's not like I'm old. I've taken it about 20% more seriously every year. Yeah. That's a good number. That's a, once you hit, mm, it should be after college. It's not. It's never, yeah. It takes one. Like there's like a in one injury about three, four years after college, you're like, ain't as good as I once was. Yes, exactly. The the Toby Keith line that we need to use for the other side of the spectrum, as you yes. reminded me, hundred mm-hmm. percent. We're just gonna say everything is a Toby Keith game. <laughs> I ain't as good as I once was, you know. Yeah, I ain't as good as I once was, or how do you like me now? It's just right. or, or just a, a game plan that made no sense, a red solo cup game. I think we could do an entire Toby Keith discography of of football games. That, that was the whole Lane Kiffin season. Basically. Yep. Yep. 100%. Uh, so I'm currently dealing with a minor, a very minor upper calf issue, which I got doing a little bit of interval training. I am working towards, um, we'll call it training. I'm training for a 10K in downtown Orlando in a few weeks. Which one? And, um, oh, what's the race called? What's the race called? I'm blanking on the name right now. I have it in my email somewhere. Wow. But yeah, it's like every a- SEC coach is shaking his head right now. You got to have your enemy in your head. You got to be just watching. <laughs> I know I do. I, I've never done this race before. It was described by a friend. I was like, that's something that would be really fun that I, I feel like I would like to see how I would fare in. So yeah, just kind of signed up for it a couple of weeks ago. And it's not really something that I'm doing to... Um, like let that be a new way of life for me. It's not, um, but I haven't run competitively since I was 22. And back then I wasn't taking care of myself the way that one should when one's entire daily workout is waking up and running seven miles a day. Different story then compared to now. I, I've run pretty regularly since then, but any sort of like Turkey 5K or like we did a, a half marathon, I, I have done those with Lauren and I go at her pace. I don't go at my own, which I'll admit on land, I've got her in water. She destroys me because she's a former swimmer who still swims. She's an active swimmer. Let's be real here. <laughs> yeah. Even six months pregnant, she would destroy me in the water. I have no doubt whatsoever about that. So with her being pregnant, 
I'm running this race solo. I'm trying to run something like 47 minutes for a 10K is the goal, which would be like a 734 mile, kind of in that range there, somewhere between 730, 740. Not sure that we're going to get there, but we'll see. And uh, yeah, my my most significant adult injury was the last race that I ran competitively, which was back in 2012. It was a 5K at my mom's school district. My mom was a kindergarten gym teacher before she retired. So I might've been taking this, I don't want to say too competitively because there were actual runners there. There were, it wasn't entirely kindergartners with their parents, but there were some sort of competitive runners there. Mm-hmm. And I pushed myself in a way that I shouldn't have. Um, and I finished second overall in this race. I actually looked up those results last week just to see how insane my pace was back then. I ran a 630, I ran a 630 mile for, for a, for a, for a 5k which was 20 minutes and 10 seconds. Fastest race I've run in my life. And I think I did long-term damage to my lungs that day. Like true story. Yeah. I I kid you, like I, I blame it all on the guy who finished first because he was a real runner. <laughs> <laughs> I the guy who won. If he had run so fast, I'd be fine. You tell me I can't do something. I'm like, all right, let's, let's see, let's go. Um, he was eight, he was like eight or nine seconds ahead of me. And I thought I was preparing for, the, the home stretch, the final two blocks of the race. But I had another half mile after that, which was not great. And so he ended up, he ended up beating me by 18 seconds. Uh, but yeah, that, that night I had pretty significant breathing issues and I've gone to doctors in three different States. I've gone to ENTs, pulmonary specialists, you name it, like no actual diagnosis. Shout out to the one doctor that I went to in winter park that told me anytime you feel like you're going to cough, just don't. That guy knew what he was talking about. What a really glad he earned his degree somewhere. Was that doctor like Jimbo Fisher or DJ Durkin or something? Like it was just like, hey, rub some dirt in your lungs. All right. This the, that that was the equivalent of it. And if there was ever a time in my life in which I was going to give a one star Yelp review, that was it. But your boy, you know what? Just too Midwestern nice, couldn't do it. But I thought it, and it's been in, been on my mind for the last five years since that guy came up with that diagnosis, but yeah, it just kind of flares up when I'm not super hydrated. And it's something that I, I still kind of deal with every now and then. And it's weird. And I don't really know how to explain it, but it all goes back to me running that race. Like my life depended on it in 2012. And it was a 5k that had probably 50% of the kids were kindergartners. You know, that sounds fitting. Um, I, I didn't mean to put you on blast, but here's a really weird trend. This is like very inside baseball. So Brittany's whole family are runners and they talk about these races. And I'm like, do you guys think this is normal? Every race in Florida is chaos. The name of it is insane. There are like goofy races, princess races. Yep. There's one where you're pirates. And I, I thought I was crazy. And I started just looking up race names. Uh, Yeah, there's a quack attack on poverty race. There's an Inua race. There's a wild. There's a every race in Florida is named after some insane thing. And there's a like a a theme that is just like I would be the theme itself would be more difficult for me than running. But anyway, that that was why I asked that question. But yeah, you know, what's funny is I actually have a a very similar story. But since I'm chubby, they just diagnosed me with asthma. So I get I have like asthma, but I don't have asthma. I, I have like I had something very similar happen to me. I used to do. You guys probably can't believe this. I used to do MMA and I had that happen to me when I, uh, 
when I was being like choked and I was like, <gasps> and I thought I was like going to die. And so I went to an asthma specialist and it was like, you know what, son, you got asthma. And, you know, if was the thing, if your only tool is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. And so the rescue inhaler helps me a lot. And so I'm just like, you know what, functionally I have asthma. So I just never, but I don't think I do. Cause I've never just randomly gotten it. It's just when I do really strenuous activity like that. Okay. And then that's how I know I didn't have asthma because mm -hmm. I went to doctors that would prescribe me with inhalers. And I'd be like, I'd sit there and do it in front of them. And I'd be like, yeah, this makes no impact whatsoever. Really? Yeah, wild, man. It's weird. The human body is a weird thing. And as you're an adult and you realize that your human body is not invincible, you learn these things the hard way. Yeah, yeah, you <laughs> that's do. what I've learned. Okay. Let's go to the Saturday Down South podcast, Facebook group. Uh, we're talking all adult injuries. And I think, what, what do we have in here? We got a lot. Um, I asked the question as well. Have you broken a bone as an adult? Physical therapy, yeah or nah? Sometimes you go, you go a little rogue. You kind of do some things on your own. You just, that's probably not the smartest move, but sometimes you kind of do the cost benefit analysis. And you're like, yeah, is this really worth my time? And yeah, we're going to get some horror stories. So let's start with this one from Jesse Folly. Jesse says, last summer, I partially tore both MCLs on a snorkeling tour. Okay. Did not expect that. Didn't expect that. Um, the second stop of the tour was at a beach. They opened the gate on the front row of the boat. So I figured it was okay to jump off, but it was oh. way too shallow. Oh, this makes sense. Landed and both knees buckled immediately knew I hurt myself. This was on Tuesday of a Saturday to Saturday cruise. Oh no. So I had to hobble around the rest of the trip. I couldn't fully straighten either leg. So I walked like a velociraptor. <laughs> That's, that's a visual. I love that. Uh, got home from the trip and got COVID. So I had to get around my house for 10 days by myself with COVID and two bum knees before I can finally see an orthopedic doctor and physical therapist. Physical therapy, though, is the best thing that ever happened to me. Not only did it help uh, did help my MCLs, but helped encourage me to make some life changes. I never used to work out. And now I go to the gym and strength train four days a week. I'd never had a medical professional who believed in me like that and who helped me believe in myself. I still go to PT, but now for little issues that come up in the gym, uh, one or two sessions of dry needling and some additional instruction on proper form. And I'm right back in the gym better than ever. That's awesome. That's awesome. That is so cool. The torn, the torn MCLs and water you rehab in water. Yeah. There's a very small amount of people that have done significant knee damage in water. I would imagine, but if there's like, that's the only way to do it is jumping in water. That's too shallow. Other yes. than that, like you're good. Yes. And you know, uh, boat injuries are like a, their own separate category because things go from zero to a hundred really quick. Every time with boat injuries, I had a buddy who jumped off of a boat and you know how there's like the jetties with the rocks. Um, he didn't necessarily hit a rock, oh, no. but there are like oysters on the rocks. Oh, and so he jumped in and like, sli like sliced his leg down the side. And like, so that's the thing, like boat injuries, cause they're so big and they're heavy and, and they're, they're hard. Like if you eat it on a boat, you're in a completely different uh, society. But yeah, that's, I completely get that. Cause I, yeah, like I was like, how did you do that? But jumping off of, once a boat gets involved and in, you can hurt yourself in so many weird ways on a boat. <laughs> Yeah, that is true. Okay, that's a good point. Having to hobble around that long while dealing mm -hmm. with COVID, oh my gosh, that is brutal. But but to, your, out to well. your point, yeah, like you're you know very proud of you, very happy. You know, you like kind of recentered everything, made it into a positive experience. You know, that's the dream. That's figuring it out right there. Exactly. That's what we're what we're here to do. Carrie Bridgman Colvin says, "I fractured my kneecap, broke my shin bone, 
and my thigh bone, all protecting one mentally ill client I was supervising. He was fighting his imagination, and I stepped over a fan, broke those bones, and tore my ACL, MCL, PCL, and LCL therapy, wheelchair, and two surgeries later, I'm better, but I can determine the weather. That's the old Dante Culpepper knee injury when it's just everything. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he did that one time, and it was just like, you just don't have a knee anymore. How how does this work? What did tell tell me what you didn't tear? That that would be the better way to describe it. How do you go to physical therapy to rehab your entire knee when you know, like you're probably at such a weak point and the amount of lower body stuff that you can do, like that when when you see an athlete that does that or something like that and they come back, you know, ten months later after tearing everything in their knee. I, I think that is an unbelievable feat because that physical therapy is hell. Two surgeries deal with that. Dang, that's so awful. That's that's actually a really good point, Connor, too. This is, will not surprise you. So when I was like in third grade, I wrecked a go-kart into a bayou. And what I did, <laughs> I was sent flying out of the go-kart. And, and I tore one of my uh one of the ligaments in my knee. So I know when I start getting like up in heavier weight, I'm like, I know exactly how my knee is gonna give because this one part of my left knee is always gonna give. And so I'm just like, well, if I want to go ahead, maybe I change my stance a little bit, maybe I lean a little bit on my right leg to try to like avoid that specific thing. But to your point, if you rebuild your whole knee, it's like, what's the first thing that's gonna give? Guess we gotta find out together. That's yeah. And you can be so timid probably for a really long period of time. Mm -hmm. Like the mental capacity that it takes to build your knee back up. That is, oh man, I don't wish that upon anyone. But you can determine the weather. So this is another all's well that ends well type story. Yeah, Injuries, positive. Krista Kissinger says, I dislocated my kneecap three years ago dancing at Houston Rodeo Cook-Off. It thankfully popped right back in, but super painful. It was actually the second date with my now husband, and he ended up carrying me across rodeo grounds to our ride, so I didn't have to walk on it. I definitely did physical therapy afterwards because I never wanted it to happen again. So far, it's been successful. Another all's well that ends well story. These are great. These are really good. Um, knee dislocations are awful. They are terrible done the left one once that was the first time it happened i've told that story on this podcast coming down from a rebound last day of basketball camp sophomore year of high school that all but ended my uh, basketball and football career pretty much from that point moving forward and then did my right knee twice that was after graduating high school dislocated that twice within a week and you know it when it happens. And so they always tell you when you dislocate a knee, because you're not, you usually don't have surgery on it. Um, or maybe that's just something that I was told like at that stage in life, but it's just a lot of physical therapy. And they kind of tell you your odds of dislocating it again are pretty high mm -hmm. and you just fear that. And so for, so there have been so many times in my life where I've taken a little bit of an awkward step and I felt that slightest bit of slip with my knees, which was definitely the byproduct of catching way too many bullpens as a backup catcher in high school. Um, and you feel that and you're like, oh my God, please don't happen. Please don't happen. And it's bad. And it's so, so freaking painful. That is something I would, that's the worst pain I've experienced in my entire life. Not even close. And I hope to never experience pain like that ever again. I just want to say that the most SEC injury story, my crashing a go-kart into a bayou lasted about three <laughs> minutes because breaking, <laughs> dancing at a rodeo 
I and then being that. carried Good and point. Then being carried to your by your future husband. That is like the Chuck Norris dream. It's like, come here, sweetie. I got you. Let's go. <laughs> like that is such a a BA experience as a man. If you can pull that off, it's just like you're safe in my arms. And look at that. Got wiped up after that. Cause that's that's your lowest point, right? It's like not only is it scary, but it could be a little bit embarrassing if you first start dating someone. You see how that person comes through in the clutch. Cause you know, some people are not built that way. Some people, eh, you want me to call an ambulance? Yep. No, this dude took charge. You know, lad of the whatever that week was. Cause he was just like, you know, we're going to keep having a go. I'm going to keep dancing. I got a beer. I'll be just taking you to a ride in a couple seconds. We'll be we'll figured out. And she's like, you know what? Cool. Krista, I don't want to say that your husband was excited that you dislocated your kneecap, but he definitely had his moment, his, this is my opportunity moment and look what it led to. So that's good. Again, so more like, positive. It's going to be like if Lauren's wife has like a bowling event, you be like, I got this boy. <laughs> We're, We're good. I'll take care of this. Dave Cozart says, I sustained a serious ankle injury playing basketball a few years ago. It was diagnosed as a grade three sprain with several avulsion or small fractures. I was on crutches for the first week. Then I got a boot just in time to attend a wedding. It got me out of dancing at least. Oh, I like dancing at weddings. A few drinks, you know. Uh, finally, they fitted me for an ankle brace, which I still wear every week when I play. Physical therapy didn't help much. I ended up just asking for them to give me exercises to do with a stretching band at home. The annoying thing about that was my insurance back billed me for it over a year later. And I ended up owing a couple hundred bucks that I didn't expect to pay. Not an all is well, that ends well story here, but basketball injuries should happen all the time. They really should. I expect every time I see somebody playing rec basketball, that somebody's going down and it's going to be significant because if there's ever a sport that we play recreationally past our physical prime, it's basketball. And if less you're the guy that's just going corner to corner, you're not getting in the fray with a rebound, your verticals like eh, like six sheets of paper. I, I hesitate to call you a three and D guy because you're not really playing a whole lot of D. You're more just a three guy. You're playing outside the perimeter. You know your role. Three and Unless C. you, man, you can get into some some nasty stuff. That's, oh, that's serious angle injury playing basketball. If you, if it hasn't happened to you, it's probably just a matter of time. Yeah. The end of my basketball career was actually, uh, so the, the guy that taught me the lifts and one of the guys that got me in the MMA was my old trainer. Uh, he was shorter than you, heavier than me. He was the strongest person I've ever met in my life. He was, okay. I mean, we're talking about thousand pound deadlifts, huge covered in tattoos, Mohawk, like literally like, uh, what's his name uh, from, from street fighter, basically he did capoeira. And I remember telling him that I was playing basketball at UCF back in Orlando. And he goes, Oh, he's like, you're more man than me. I would never play basketball because of the ligament damage. And this dude was a professional MMA fighter. And I like sat back and thought about that for a minute. I was like, if that dude's scared to play basketball, I don't think I need to be playing basketball because I'm bigger than him and way less coordinated. Exactly. Being big doesn't protect you in playing basketball. It doesn't protect you playing football either. But the amount of like lower body stuff that you're just like so not used to the start and stop to mm-hmm. that's associated with that, which is part of the reason why I think I'm dealing with my upper calf thing right now is because I was doing interval training. So I was doing all this start and stop and your right. body's just like not really used to it. And there's a reason why you feel a certain level of soreness and fatigue after playing basketball compared to just doing your standard workout or something like that. And I think it's because we put our body through things that we – we, we we're having fun and we're like, we're playing basketball, we're playing a game. So it distracts us from all of the things that our body is like, Hey, we don't do this all the time. And we're, we're kind of, 
we're putting ourselves in harm's way by by being out here right now and trying to get up, you know, 15 shots in this rec league game right now. We don't need to do that. Right. And that's one of those things, too. Like, this is a very key part of the adult injury game is no one feels sorry for you. When Good you point. come into work and have, like, a messed up leg, like, when you're having the worst time, oh, what happened? I was playing rec basketball. Oh, at your age? Eh, thanks, buddy. Yeah. Like, and the older you get, like, if you're in your 20s, I don't think that's that ridiculous. But the minute you hit 30 and you start telling people at work, yeah, you know, whatever. I have so many injuries I've never told people about. I've made up stories because I I would rather be goofy and think that people think I'm stupid and clumsy than like, yeah, dude, I was getting after it one day. And I just, yeah, you know. I You could, there's always a, there should be a standard default story that everybody's able to use so that mm-hmm. you don't, because there's, there's the other side which is the non-athletic injuries. And I think we've talked about that a little bit and figuring out of very embarrassing ways. You sneeze, you throw out your back, the old Sammy Sosa. Um, There are ways in which we can get hurt that we feel comfortable telling people that might judge us. And then there are ways that we're not comfortable with and that we don't want to tell people. But there needs to be a default injury I fell down off my ladder, you know, cleaning the gutters or or something like that. Something that happens- I'm using that one. Nobody rat on me. That's a very, because you're trying to be useful, trying to help around the house. Yep. Very dad thing to do. You're trying to be productive. So no one's going to shame you for being up on the ladder like they would from playing hoops because that's a functional, helpful thing. Significant scratch on your face. Dog got me. Happens. They don't need to know if you had a dog or not. You work in a big enough place. They're not going to know unless they follow you on social media, in which case, might have to buy a dog. Make that happen. But (laughs) just ride that one out, buddy, into the shelter because you can't, you can't hide it. Yeah. Drew Page says, one of my best friends wanted to practice for our intramural softball game. Well, there's your first mistake. Yep. So he went out on wet grass and tried to hit some balls, ended up slipping and blowing his entire knee out. Ten years later, it's all a big joke of how dumb he was to do that. Yeah, you just don't practice. You just don't practice because your body does not want you doing that on a daily basis. You show up for the games, you pray you don't get hurt. That's it. That's it. You don't try and simulate that. If you simulate that, oh, yeah, I'm training my body to be able to do this. No, 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 no. You're not going to do it often enough to where you're actually going to be able to help yourself. I promise you. Practice does not make perfect. Until you're at the level of like a Spartan race, when that rain starts coming down, even at your day of event, you start to approach things a little bit differently as you get old, right? If you have a softball game, rain starts coming down and that's assuming you know after the rain delay and everything right if you if you if you do that once that turf starts to get kind of wet stop doing any type of you know not that you'd be sliding either way but you don't want to do the whole like shuffle to stop you look you got me bro sorry yeah. I, i'm not trying to quick stop on wet ground because that's the end of me <laughs> look even the eagles defense quit when the, the turf was really bad and you know super uh, in the super bowl they're like hey right. life's too short we could get hurt yeah you, you can change our cleats and try and do all that but Come on, I'm not out here trying to ruin my next contract. No, right. No, not That's that. what I always go back to. It's like, yeah, it's like, okay, you might call me a softie if you're listening to this right now. I'd be like, oh, you're you're not even thirty and you're scared of the rain. Yeah, a little bit, man, because I see like professional athletes pull up with non-contact injuries after like years of being trained by millionaire traders to not do that. And I'll have that kind of resources and time to rehab. There's no off season for making memes, buddy. I got to check into work on Monday. <laughs> we respect the three, three, five. We respect the rain. That is what we do. On That's, this it. Podcast. <laughs> That's it. Let's end with this one from my mom. 
Yes, my mom dealing with an adult injury that's been very frustrating for her these past few months. She says, broke my fifth metatarsal in two places, was running up the stairs in slippers, slipped and landed on the side of my foot. Thought I rolled my ankle at first, but it was much worse. I spent nine weeks in a boot and then 10 sessions of physical therapy. Last day of PT, she put me on an elliptical and my foot hasn't been the same since. Fast forward 10 more weeks, I'm still in pain, going back to the doctor for a new x-ray tomorrow. Guess they call them slippers for a reason. My mom has not lost her sense of humor. Yeah, it's been rough. It's been really rough. Uh, my mom is super active. She's the type of active that's like 20,000 steps a day active. Walking, 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 walking. Always wants to be moving. She does her craft fair stuff. It's like that's That was her side hustle. I guess like it's it's now her main thing now that she's retired. But she is a very active person. And when you have a foot injury or something like that, in the dead of winter in Chicago, it is brutal. It sucks. And so she was counting down those days to be able to get back and go into all the physical therapy. Again, physical therapy kind of having a little bit of a tough go on this figuring out. I'm just saying, like, I know there are benefits and all that stuff, but it doesn't always work out the way that you hope it will. Um, but yeah, she basically dealt with a very frustrating injury that still has not made her right. And for somebody like she couldn't even drive for a while. She got a new car and then couldn't drive it for like two months. It's like that. That is just so annoying. And foot injuries when you're older, they just take over your life in a way that, you know, I guess, I mean, they always do. They always really do. But yeah, she has been been going through it. Don't run on slippers. That's the moral of the story, kids. Yeah. And and we've talked about this a little bit, but like, maybe, maybe I am just sounding like a softie today, but that, that older generation is just pretty much tougher than that. Some of the, some of the slander is true. Like my mom had a slip and fall last year. Mm. And it, literally, I promise you the... The okay, this is gonna sound weird. The the big injury um to oh god, Jameson Williams in the national championship game happened around then. And believe it or not, the surgeon who did that was under James Andrews, located in Birmingham. And if it had not been that surgeon, that specific surgeon, she would not have gotten surgery to fix her whole shoulder that got destroyed. She would have just been like, I'm just gonna live with this. And that blows my mind. Like she was just like, like she walked in the dude's like uh, office for a consult and there was like a Drew Brees jersey because Andrews rebuilt Drew Brees' shoulder. I was like, mom, do you think you're smarter than all of these people? But like, especially as our parents get older, like, dude, they are tough. That's the thing. Like we gotta be careful because my mom's definitely tougher than me. I couldn't just be like, you know what? I'm going to just live with, live, live this one out. It's tough because you have to judge, can I live with this clicking in my shoulder for the rest of time? Or do I want to put myself through this surgery that I know is going to suck and I'm going to have four months in which I'm just going to hate myself and feel like I, I just can't do anything? Or can I just figure out what my limitations are and just live with it? I kind of get it. I yeah. kind of do. And you know, it's easy to sit here and be like, oh, well, you should definitely get the surgery. It's like, well, you're not going to deal with the four months of suck. So Exactly. And that was the thing. Like, literally, like, that was my my papa was just like, well, can't replace my knees. I got to drive. And, All right, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to not drive for six months. Oh, whatever. The knees are damaged goods. They're my knees. Yeah, I'll right deal on. with it. <laughs> All right. Let's close with some lad of the week. Uh, I've got an obvious one for you. I went with James Bradbury. I did. Um, the guy commits one of the most costly penalties, probably in NFL history. It's going to look like the hold, the hold scene around the world. Every Eagles fan on the planet is crying NFL rigged. And then Bradbury admits in the post game that it was the right call. And he was hoping that he could just kind of get away with it. 
And so on top of that, the dude stays in the locker room answering questions long after the media scrum has dissipated. I love that. I have such little patience for the guys who have never committed a penalty or they've never committed a foul in basketball in their life. Speaking of rec league basketball um, on that stage, though, the easiest thing in the world would have been to just get defensive on a borderline play. And instead, he just kind of owns it like an adult. And I respect that. Yeah, man. No, for sure. I uh, could have changed. Yeah, just gonna, gonna gonna change it from lad of the week to dad of the week really quick. Um, so we had a couple of uh, fatherhood news during the Super Bowl. We had a total of three babies, um, born Super Bowl Sunday, right? So in addition to Rihanna announcing that she was pregnant, um, which well not officially announcing, but we all kind of figured it out together, which was kind of a wild uh, experience. But we also had Nicole Hardman, Hardman, former UGA player, as you guys know, he was on the Chiefs. He was on IR, so. I believe he got to actually witness the birth of uh, his baby because he was on IR. And he was like, you know what? I'm just going to miss this because I wouldn't, the team doesn't need me. My wife does. Uh, and then uh, there's a 26-year-old guard on the Chiefs who his wife gave birth to twins. He also was not playing. So, you know, that, wow. that's, yeah, super cool. Like that, that all, all, all kind of like, um, all kind of lined up. But, you know, that's one of those things where it's like, Every relationship is a little bit different, but I always wonder about that. Don't you a little bit? Like if you're like if Lauren was due and you had to play in the Super Bowl, that has to be like the hardest conversation on earth that could be because that literally has to be like the one reason to miss your child's birth. Like any other one you're cooked, you know what I'm saying? But if you're like, I got to play in the Super Bowl, it's like, well, then you're letting other people down. Then your team might lose and you could forever blame yourself. But, you know, it's, it's good that those two guys, their overall career trajectory wasn't really impacted because of that. And so it's 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 just cool to see, you know, as big as this game can be, but there's always other stuff going on. And uh, shout out to Rihanna as well. So, yeah, just big yeah. weekend for parenthood. It <laughs> was. Um, Look, I, I'm not in that situation like so many of the Kansas City Chiefs were, but I'm picking the birth of my child every single time, every single time, because here's what you also have to consider. If you don't go to the birth of your child and you're there for the Super Bowl, you are always going to have win or lose. You're going to have the bad taste in your mouth. If you're there for the birth of your child and you missed a Super Bowl win or loss, you can default to that. Yep. And you can feel better about that in the long term, knowing, okay, even if they lost and you felt like you could have helped, you got to see the birth of your child. Mm -hmm. If you win or lose that game and you miss the birth of your child, that variable is not changing either way. Or alternatively, your team wins. And you got to see the birth of your child and you get to go to the parade and you get to reap the benefits of all the things that you did to probably help your team get there. I'm going with birth my child every time. And I know that's like the easy, whatever, I guess, cliche-ish thing to say. I would actually have to think about it in that spot. But I think that's the logic that has to win out. Yeah, I mean, you also get a card to get out of chores for the rest of your life, right? Because it's like, hey, I missed the Super Bowl for you, baby. You can't question if I'm in this one. All right, that's a great so point. That's, that's the all-time Trump card. Yeah. Um, no, I think I think that's 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 always like super. I, for some reason, I always think about little weird exceptions like that. So I think I think that's like super interesting. Yeah, when I saw the Nicole Hardman thing, I was like, ah, what would I do? You know what? No, I know what I would do. I know what I would do. That's we're uh we're we're making mount we're moving mountains to make sure that that we're there for that. Have to Aww. just have to. Uh, if you have not, leave us a five-star review, subscribe to this podcast, follow us on Twitter at the SDS Pod at Satdown South. Subscribe to our basketball newsletter. Like I said, Blue Chip Grit, great stuff. Go to bluechipgrit.com. Join the Facebook group and hear your name right on air with figuring out or bold and brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.